Thank you guys for joining us on a special edition interview of the Comics Pals. Phil and I actually have the honor of speaking today with, I think it's fair to say, superstar writer of Immortal Hulk and upcoming Guardians of the Galaxy, Al Ewing. Uh, Hello. How's it going? Great. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. No problem. Anytime. Uh, If you guys are fans of ours, which if you're listening to this, well, maybe you're just a fan of of Al's and we're lucky enough to have you guys on board. Thank you for listening. Want to let you guys know where you can find us real fast before we dive into the interview with the Comics Pals all over the the internet. You can get us on social media at the Comics Pals. If you want to write to us, you can do so at thecomicspals at gmail.com. And if you're on YouTube right now checking us out, hello. Make sure to leave us a like, drop us a comment, share this video with your friends, and subscribe to our channel. All of those things are free to do, and they help us out a lot more than they cost you. Now, at New York Comic Con 2019, we were lucky enough, Phil was lucky enough, to have a a chat with Al. And it was a fantastic conversation that generated a lot of comments from you guys, and a lot of people just very interested in Immortal Hulk. And so... Just thank you, Al, for, for joining us here today, and I'm really excited to dive in on the book because I think this is one of the most special books that's on the market from any publisher at all. Oh, well, thank you for saying that. That's, um, that's very kind of you. Um, we're, I mean, incredibly happy with with how it's kind of um, been taken up by people. Uh, we, I, I think it's probably fair to say that we weren't expecting this. We weren't kind of expecting this level of sort of hoopla around it. We we were really confident that it was going to do really well for a Hulk book, and you know, so this is like it's beyond our wildest dreams. And people seem to be on board with us, you know, as we take it further, as we as we push things into different directions, into sort of more more interesting to to us directors. You know, you've got the the body horror that uh, Joe puts in there, the kind of visual visual stuff he's he's always suggesting stuff you know uh a lot of my own concerns are in there and people seem to be on board for the ride so that's that's really good to know that's really um it's really kind of energizing us to kind of keep going and keep pushing it al going into this does when you come up with the impetus of this idea does it feel like you know what i have something really special here this is going to be something celebrated by a lot of people. Like, does do you does anything like that ever cross your mind going into a project like this? I mean, there's certainly not certainly not going into it. Um, we again, I was hoping for people to really like it and get on board with it and to kind of, you know, even like uh, buy it in decent numbers, but like. Um, I was not going into it thinking it would be uh, acclaimed, I guess, the way that it has been. So that's been a very, a very gratifying surprise and a very, and a very nice one. And it's, it's been wonderful. Uh, now that I'm sort of, uh, I've seen how it's gone down. There is a kind of pressure that I put on myself to kind of um, to keep that up, to sort of, and not not so much to kind of keep doing the same things again and again and again you know until i kind of run out of steam but to to keep that energy of like pushing pushing forward doing the new doing stuff that kind of 
excites me and and interests me and kind of and i know i know the art team feels the same way that you know we're kind of we're pushing things forward we're kind of we're trying to bring new sort of new visuals new ideas uh we're trying not to rest on our laurels so and i guess there's that i guess to answer your question there's sort of there's that kind of pressure there's that kind of like um that knowledge that it has done as well as it has done so you know we can't slack off <laughs> yeah we just gotta we just gotta keep on with it until until the run ends and it does have an end you know we've got an end in mind i know i know what the last issue is probably going to look like so you know barring barring sudden sudden <laughs> massive uh, ideas coming to me in the middle of the night i've got it planned out did did you have an end in mind from the beginning well i pitched the first 15 issues that would have been pretty much to the um the end of the hellock and then i had an idea that if things weren't you know i mean i I even had sort of little ways i could get out of it you know if it really crashed and burned i have ways to get out of it even before that but that was sort of my my jumping off point if it did you know as well as my previous series has have done let's put it that way i've not (laughs) yeah i've i've not been a sort of a long-term guy before now um so I figured, okay, well, I've got my jumping off point here, you know, and this will be like, and then, you know, with those, with the last two issues, 14 and 15, I could have like um, extended the hell arc a little bit, wrapped things up, done an ending, basically. Um, but as it turned out, by the time we got there, you know, I, I went into the hell arc thinking, oh God, this is where it's doing so well. And now, you know, everybody's going to jump off it because it's it's going to get weird. But, at the, <laughs> you know, it's this thing of, like, you can't – you've got two options in a situation like that. You can either play it safe or you can do what you were doing. And, you know, we did what we were doing, and that was the right decision because uh, people started liking it even more. Um, and so, yeah, that was going to be the kind of – the cutoff point. Um, and then I was thinking about, okay, well, issue 25, you know, what do I do about that? And basically, by the time the Hellock was coming out, we were like, well, we're not stopping into issue 25. That's not happening. As early as that, we just knew, you know, we were, we were in for the long haul. Um, and now I have a new kind of jumping off point, and this is the real actual end of the story. This is like okay, this is as long as it is. And if we keep it going longer than that, then we're starting to spin our wheels and like... Um... But like I say, if I have a sudden bolt from the blue and suddenly realize there's like another 20 issues in it, then, you know. But I won't, I won't, I'm not going to say like exactly when the last issue is because I don't want to jinx it. <laughs> I've seen I've seen that happen. Like, you know, somebody says, oh, we're going to do like so many issues then like it doesn't get that far. You know, and I've thought that um, with with things. So the team knows and editorial know, you know, how long we're doing. But I'm not making a huge thing about like, oh, this is going to be so many things. When we get near the time, I'll be like, okay, this is the last issue, and then you know, people will know. But I, I want to get a little, I want to get a little closer to it before I, you know, blurt it out like that. So I, I've actually been really fascinated by your Marvel career 
because you, at least as as far as I became aware of you, was really around the I want to say the post Secret Wars um, period, Jonathan Hickman Secret Wars, where you were on Ultimates, right, and you were on New Avengers. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. And, yep, no, those were the those were the two. And I remember thinking, oh man, Ultimates is is so amazing. This is such a such a cool book, such a, a, a different book. And it seemed as though you kind of had the hot hand and Marvel was positioning you as such. But Marvel, they they things kind of seem to ebb and flow there. And sometimes you can be the guy, you know, who's who's positioned uh to you know, have these these major titles and these really special and important books, and then sometimes you get cooled off a little bit. And you talked a little bit about how you didn't, you haven't really had that security of being able to say, okay, this run's going to go into the deeper waters. What do you think makes Immortal Hulk the book that has kind of stuck with people and allowed you to 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 tell the story that you really want to tell and really dive in? Part of it is. I went in from a place of experience. I kind of, having been through the thing with the Ultimates, where like you know we had the we had the great we had the big ideas, we had the the big thing, but we kind of that issue one. I'm still proud of it, but it I think it needed to be more. It needs to grab, and it kind of it hit pretty hard. It could have hit just a little bit harder, maybe. But other things like uh, the tie-ins at the time, I was very. I'd accepted the notion that um, a good thing to do with your book would be tie-in. And I mean, I was starting to pull away from it, but at the time, the the kind of big crossovers of the moment, uh, Civil War II, um, Secret Empire, both of those featured... Um, Civil War II obviously featured Captain Marvel very heavily, yeah. so... And I, I was thinking, well... And people were talking about it in terms of, well okay, stopping problems before they happen. That's kind of what the Ultimates do. They should be involved. And I was thinking, yeah, that makes sense. Um, but it did it did get them involved in this kind of lower-level stuff. Uh, they kind of came off this big cosmic, you know, this is what the universe is made of thing, to a sort of lower level. And I guess if I had it all to do again, maybe I'd sort of not do that so much. And, in, and then when I got to Hulk, one of the ways I pitched that was like, we don't do tie-ins. We never have like a banner on the thing. We never have a little sort of, and even when we kind of, we're in with, um, even when we go in on things like uh, Absent Carnage or the Defenders thing from uh, 2018, uh, that's always a separate special. So there was that. There was the the no tines thing. So that was a kind of, that was definitely me um, going like, let's try this and see. Uh, see if it makes a difference see what the um you know let's 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 take that completely out of the equation and see and let's not connect it to um let's not connect it to the atom of the universe at first let's not connect it to its own past at first if you look at the book now it's sort of a lot of a lot of people are kind of you were you were saying before we started recording that you're kind of a new hulk fan um a lot of people are kind of learning about the Hulk's past sort of through this book. But originally when we started, it was very much, you didn't need to know that you're kind of, so we sort of, we didn't bring any of the old supporting cast in for like six issues. You know, we kind of let it, 
let it stand on its own. The first, the first issues were all the first three issues were all like issue ones in a way. Um, obviously, you have issue one, which is just like lays out the concept in very simple terms, or like the starting concept anyway. Issue two is you know an introduction to Bruce Banner. Issue three is like an introduction to the Hulk, you know, from the public eye through these different things. They're all they're all issues that you can pick up and not worry about the previous issues you can they can be your issue one any of them uh and that was a conscious choice um so much so much of the first uh six issues six to twelve issues in that book uh were very very deliberate choices to kind of minimize the reader thinking i need to have read something else first i need to kind of I need to know more before I start with this, you know, I'm sort of to minimize the reader, not feeling welcomed in. Um, and I think that was the, the big difference. I feel like ultimate started off with a sort of explanation of like, Oh, secret wars just happened. And it's like, and all this is, all this stuff is popping off and you know, there's Galactus, you know, Galactus, right. And it's like, immediately we're kind of like, okay, so you need to know about secret wars and you need to know about Galactus. And it's like, it was, I'm, I'm proud of it, but it was a comic for people who were relatively versed with the universe and with the characters. Immortal Hulk issue one, you can pick that up, never having read a Marvel comic before, I think. You can pick that up with just like your basic cultural knowledge of who the Hulk is that you've sort of osmosed just generally from the culture. You know, it's like um, it's like Dracula. Everybody knows who Dracula is, even if they haven't read the book. Everybody knows who the Hulk is. He's that green guy, yeah, you know, the scientist. He's sort of, uh, what was it, lonely man theme. He wanders around, he turns into a monster. Everybody kind of has the very basics in their head, especially if they're walking into a comic shop to like pick up, you know, this new Hulk comic. So that was starting off. That was it. That was a big kind of, uh, that was a big part of it. And what I'm trying to do now with things like Guardians is sort of take some of those lessons and kind of apply them, work out with Guardians one. It's sort of, it's much more connected to like, um, but at the same time, I'm kind of trying to do that thing of like, okay, how do I grab people? How do I sort of, bring them in how do i make them feel like they don't need to have picked up a guardians comic before this but also we are literally just following last month we're literally just following a huge run on guardians how do i make those fans feel welcome as well it's it's learning the lessons of immortal hulk not duplicating them but applying them yeah that that makes a lot of sense and and speaking to what you had said before about the first you know 12 or so issues or six issues kind of taking a beat to start introducing some of these characters who are relevant to the Hulk's past as someone who, you know, was not a passionate Hulk fan before this run. It was actually kind of nice to not need to worry about knowing everything. And, and, and I think you did something that was really smart. And I, I want to make sure I say this is, those characters kind of add to the the mystique of the book because when they first appear you know when you when you first see sasquatch right like it's clear that he's relevant 
in some way to the Hulk's past in that first issue where you see him, but you don't know how. And it's like, is he going to try to kill the Hulk right here? Or is he really going to try to help him? And maybe if I had known more about their history, I could have known how that would go down. But I didn't know. And that makes it, there's an element of mystery to it that fits in a book that's about this, you know, big green monster. No, it's, I, I mean, the thing with that, because I knew, I knew a lot of people kind of, wouldn't know who Walter was, like from a hole in the ground. I was I was thinking of him as like um almost like Jackie in that like a new character, a new supporting character for the Hulk. Um in that he he's not really hung around with the Hulk and yet his origin is very connected. So and you know, this all the stuff about them going to college together, that was like established long ago. Um but I I think with issue four, that was probably the first issue where I like I was worried about kind of this is where they all jump off the book because um, it was a very talky issue. The, the Hulk wasn't really in it, um, but there was a, a kind of a trick I did there, which I sort of repeated a few times since, which is um, give a kind of give a character an issue that's like where they have at least at least a third of the book, you know, a third to a half to maybe the whole thing to kind of give us the basics, give us like where they come from, what their deal is. Like, um, so Walter comes in and, you know, we kind of learn his connection to Bruce's relationship with Bruce. Uh, Betty comes in, you know, we kind of, we stay with her for a bit. Um, Samson, you know, Rick, this is, it's all kind of, um, and there's, there's that thing where I like, it's, it's sort of, I, I kind of mean to do it and it's, um, and it's sort of got to the stage where I've got, I've got new villains coming in and now it's like, okay, here is how I get their deal across. And you know, here's how, here's, here's what I, I do about him. And it's, and it's not, it's trying not to do it in that way of like, well, let me give you, you know, their encyclopedia entry. Uh, it's more like, how do I kind of get across the very basic information of like what their deal is in a, a kind of entertaining and absorbing way? Um, which is, it's basics. It's, you know, Comics 101, but that's always a concern. One, one thing I remarked to Sean is, and I mean this comparison favorably, is this 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 run kind of reminded me of, of Grant Morrison's Batman run. Oh, right. It, cool. <laughs> and that uh, it, it, it introduces, reintroduces and refamiliarizes what's old uh, in, in, in the continuity of this, of these characters in case of Batman and, and his, and his supporting cast or, or the Hulk with his supporting cast. And what is old is new. And that you're, you're reintroducing, uh, old ideas in familiar ways, but taking them in completely uh, abstract and new directions. And I think that's what makes it so appealing for both people who might identify as longtime Hulk readers and people who have never actually read the Hulk because it feels kind of like a character study. Well, I mean, as comparisons go, that's that's a big compliment. I, um, I remember reading that run and just being really... After all the, especially uh, a DC book, um, because 
you know, the whole point of of DC for me, and I kind of started reading like American comics. There was some, you know, some reprints, but actual American imported American comics, which you could find in news agents. I um, we kind of started getting those or I started seeing them anyway, in around 1986. So my introduction to the DC Universe was like crisis. That was how, you know, I knew of Superman, I knew of Batman, I knew kind of, I knew Wonder Woman, I, I knew I knew these colorful characters. Actually reading comics about them started with Crisis and Infinite Earths. So my entire conception of the DC Universe is a thing that reboots. It's like um, this... You know, I was sort of in on the ground floor for like this new this new DC, which was like studying again. And then they kind of, you know, I was there when they sort of did it again with Zero Hour. And it's like, and then, you know, they started bringing back all the old guys. And I was like, oh, that's not the Flash. That's some boring old fart. Um, <laughs> and it's like, so to have Morrison actually say, okay, every Batman comic happened. All of them, even all the ones from the 50s where he's like dealing with a Martian school teacher or like, uh, you know, the zebra Batman, all of those, all of those happen too. And it's like, and we're going to like, because we have, you know, the crisis excuse, we can very, very slightly tinker with them, but essentially they all happened. You know, we're going to fit them in however we can, but they all happened. And it's like, that just felt revolutionary because it was sort of going against DC's whole kind of... Uh, I'm, I'm searching for the word, but the kind of the style of it, the sort of ethos. Yeah, the whole ethos at the time. Um, the whole kind of like, oh, certain comics of the past, you know, we can't make them fit. We're just going to like shunt them off into their own, you know, separate space. And this was just blowing all that out of the water. So it was just, um, it felt exciting. It felt interesting. It made me want to go back and read old Batman comics. And then, of course, they reboot the universe right in the middle of it. So, <laughs> <laughs> naturally, yeah. So you, oh, you have that, you have the issue of um, uh, Batman International, Batman Incorporated, where it's like it's you know it's Batman doing all the old demon stories, except he's wearing that bloody suit with the seams and the piping and all of the, and you know it looks like it was. Yeah, it's activewear that somebody's like made yesterday, and it's like, yeah, okay, fine, <laughs> great. I would have really liked to see. I would have really liked to see the Neil Adams bat suit in that. <laughs> you know, that would have made that scene better. But hey, you know, you do you. Um, and yeah, it just felt very kind of. That's one of the things I like about Marvel, is that deals with Mephisto inside aside. <laughs> They don't tend to reboot. <laughs> Aside from the occasional individual reboots, and you know, and you'll get you'll get stories where they're like they'll go back and say, "Oh yeah, that that actually happened like this," which is kind of necessary in a universe where like time is constantly shifting. But like, um, it was the same in Morrison's Batman. It, it it was like you know you'd go back to an old story. Where you know the Martian school teacher appeared, and it'd be oh yeah no he was just on space drugs, um, but you know essentially it happened. It just happened in a way that the modern version can accommodate, which is just you know it's how Marvel handles time. It's it's how Marvel handles continuity, and I feel like what we're doing with with the 
with Immortal Hulk now is just taking that basic rule of Marvel that, like, if you go back to, you know, a story from the 60s where the Hulk fights the Metal Master with a cardboard gun and befriends a group of juvenile delinquents, that that happened. That you know, there's nothing about that that is that is not in continuity. Um, aside from, I don't know, the CB radios and you know whatever was uh, details of the period, uh, mistakes of the period maybe. Um, but like, essentially, everything happened, and uh, I'm I'm just sort of taking that and and running with it. It's not. I might be doing a lot of it, but it's nothing that. Marvel do not do in small ways like all the time. Wait till your successor has Joe Fixit make a deal with the one below all to retcon your run. <laughs> I mean, if if that's how it goes, that's how it goes. But it's um, I'm I'm you know by then I'll be off the book, so it'll be fine. <laughs> I'll like I'll be done. No, I think I feel like uh, one of the. One of the best things about the Hulk is that he is so changeable. Um, I I said I said very early on that like the first six issues were kind of a big influence on this run, and they were a big influence on like my conception of the Hulk and what the Hulk is. And part of that is just the changeability of it. Like um, the Hulk is not fixed by uh, by the time by the middle sixties. You've got the Fantastic Four. You pretty much know who they all are. Um, you know, the thing is, I think the last one to become a stable personality, and then he kind of he he solidifies, and then you know who all the Fantastic Four are. You know who Spider Man is. You know who Captain America is. You've got a real clear understanding of who they are and how they work. The Hulk is still nobody's quite sure how smart he is. You know, nobody's quite sure like. Does he have a secret identity? Oh no, he doesn't. Okay, we're changing that. Um, is he is he on the run from the government? Is he? No, Thunderbolt Ross has forgiven him. No, he hasn't. Okay, uh, he's with Betty. No, he's not. Betty's married to Glenn. Okay, now Glenn's Betty's back with Bruce again. It's like there's a constant flux there, and that's that's a good thing. There's a period where the TV show is landing where the Hulk is pretty stable in terms of who he is. But even then, he'll be like bouncing, ping-ponging back and forth from one situation to another. Like um, I've I started up my uh, my reread of all the old Hulk comics again uh, recently, and yeah, he just he basically goes to Counter Earth for like no reason. Um, there's one bit just after Harpy uh, is introduced for the first time when uh, when Betty becomes Harpy, uh, where. Literally, she's finding him in the air, and then they both get rammed into by a city in the clouds that just happens to be there. <laughs> the next issue is just set on this floating city with the boy beast on it, and it's like, okay, um, and it's just this is the sort of thing it feels it feels very natural for the Hulk, whereas you know someone like the FF or Spider they're kind of tied down to particular places, um, particular venues you know spider-man's always got to be sort of hanging around the daily bugle a little bit fantastic four's kind of moored to the to the baxter building um most superheroes are kind of in new york hulk can just 
go anywhere, be anything. I think when um, when Bill Mantlo starts, uh, and I think he's the first to kind of bring back that changeability after after that stable period. Um, I don't I don't see that as like you know a change from like a, a classic Hulk because there was no classic Hulk. There was just like a a relatively long period of stability. Um, but out of all of the Hulk's existence on the comics page, it's it's a very small amount. Where you know it was like Banner and the Hulk Smash Hulk. There's it's only what ten years, uh, ten or twelve. It's not that not that long. It, it's it's interesting that you bring up the way that the Hulk has kind of constantly changed in his publication history because I feel like this book represents that really well it represents that really well but it also represents i feel like the 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 book itself and the way that you're constantly moving the character shifting the story represents the way that the hulk is that he's he's constantly moving constantly shifting um he can be anywhere do anything and i think that the 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 book itself really well represents that so when it starts it's very familiar like if you've ever watched the show, the you know the the show from I don't even know what what decade it was from. Um, uh, 70s, 70s, 80s, I think. Yeah, uh, um, early eighties. Like that show, he's kind of all over the place. He's he's wandering uh, from yeah. from town to town, and in 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 the first few issues of the book, that was the impression that I got, or, or I guess that's the echo for me, and that felt comfortable because I had seen that show before. Um, go ahead. I mean, that was that was partly the idea, and that um, I did want to bring in elements from the TV show, the kind of the wandering element. The uh, certainly in the first six issues, um, until the Avengers issue, basically, there's that element of like, you know, is there such a thing as a Hulk? Which was the big thing of the TV the TV show. You know, it's like the um, Jack McGee was the only the only person who believed that the Hulk existed, and that, that like uh, he was, you know, David Banner. Um, but it's like the whole, yeah, the Hulk is dead. So these Hulk sightings, it's just nonsense. Um, that was kind of our attempt to like bring a little of that energy into it. And then, but at the same time, if we'd stuck with that, it would have got unbelievable very fast. Like very fast, um, so that had to change, and that kind of started the domino topple because it's like once we had that kind of permission from the readers to change his circumstances, we just we could keep doing it, and and I feel like we haven't been so much changing it for the sake of it. It's not been ping ponging, but it's been building, in that we've been we've been building new things on it and new circumstances and. You know, if you look at issue one and look at like um, issue like twenty nine, I think was the last one to come out. Um, they're in, they're completely different circumstances. They're completely different styles of book, even. But it's like if you read through every issue between, the idea is that it's like um, at no point do you feel like, well, this is a leap. At, at no point do you feel like it's just changing for the sake every every action builds on the kind of previous thing a little bit that's the intent anyway yeah i think it i think it does come across that way it just feels 
apt for a character like the Hulk to not be, you know, sort of tied down to one location or even one group of characters. The group of characters has, has shifted and evolved throughout the book in a way that a lot of series don't do. Yeah, we're, I mean, we're kind of closer to like the, um, I think this is sort of our take on the classic Hulk family, the kind of, um, the Greg Pack years in a way. Uh, but again, it's like, I feel like the Hulk's always had that kind of permission to be, to be chaotic and changeable in a way that other characters um, it's like when, when Spider-Man, like, um, ran that company for a while, there was like, you know, I heard, you saw a lot of a feedback that was like, oh, that's not Spider-Man. It's not really who Spider-Man is. It's like, you can't really, there's a version, there have been versions of the Hulk where he's like, he's run a think tank. He's been like the boss of like, uh, an organization where he's, where Bruce Banner has run the Hulkbusters for a bit, where he's sort of, you know, been um, been in charge of uh, the Pantheon. This like, and it's like, um, I, I think to an extent we've been kind of touching on like similar situations to those old ones, but it's like there's, uh, I don't want to get into spoiler territory, but there's there's something we've got coming up that is going to be completely new. I think, um, so you know, I won't say any more than that. That's exciting. But uh, yeah. yeah. But the in terms of the kind of um does I don't think there's any situation you could put Bruce Banner and the Hulk in. Um even being dead, even being like replaced by dead and replaced by somebody else. Where like you can't where you can say like that's not a Hulk comic. Um I don't think he will be dead again anytime soon. Um, I'd be very surprised if the next person on the character decided to do that again. Thank goodness. But oh, I don't. Know. It's we all knew it was temporary, and I kind of, I kind of like the. Uh, I'm, I'm very glad of it. I think another reason we got the, um, the readership we did was because people were hungry to see Bruce Banner again. So you know, we had a very, we had a very good opportunity. I think if we'd just been following a Hulk series with Banner in it, you know, with the new Hulk number one with Banner in it, I don't think it would have made. I don't think enough people would have sort of come in and been curious. So from that point of view, it was nice to like let the Hulk lay fallow for a little bit. And also it's interesting seeing what another character does with that power set and those concerns and that kind of like, yeah, you know, the, the whole, the whole thing of like, okay, how is Amadeus a different Hulk? Can he be a different Hulk? Um, or will that eventually, will like the semiotics of the character eventually like overtake him until he finds himself, you know, basically falling into all the old traps. It's like, um, that's an interesting story. That was, that was interesting to me. I enjoyed watching Greg kind of play that one out. Um, at the same time, I can appreciate people wanting to see Bruce back again. And, you know, I'm glad they did because they picked up our book and where maybe they wouldn't have before. Maybe they'd have uh, not missed him as much. You've, uh, you've reread all the Hulk. You've, you've talked about all the fundamentals of this character being a drifter and how malleable he is. You've, you've referenced a couple runs. Uh, is there a run on the character that 
is either your favorite or was particularly formative in inspiring your run? I mean, the the Peter David one is the classic run in terms of like, certainly in terms of my generation. Um, and also in terms of like doing something big with the Hulk. But that kind of started with Al Milgram. So it's like Peter David was kind of taking a ball and running with it and going to like all kinds of great places with it. And, uh, and the whole thing of merging the Hulks into one of like, um, identifying the Hulks as having um, dissociative identity disorder. It was, uh, and so he did all that. But, but before you had, you had Milgram who was very, there was a strangeness to that run that I really, I really appreciated when I went back and reread it. Um, it was very kind of, it was coming out of, um, and then before that, it was Burn, who, yeah, that was, that was more of a kind of classic take, I think. Um, but again, first thing he does is like, uh, having brought the classic Hulk back to earth is like change everything, you know, and this is John Byrne, you know, he's not, he's not known for like, um, not adhering to the like the classic setup, and yet immediately he kind of turns everything on its head. And if you go if you go and read like uh, interviews with him and sort of um, things that he said, all this was going to be in service of coming around to bringing back a more classic Hulk. But in the short term, no, he just upended everything. So it was like uh, it was almost like the curse of the Hulk, kind of you know, getting uh, changing his intentions. Um, Bill Mantlow, I mentioned that that is a big influence on the current run. There's a sort of creeping horror to that run, and a creeping strangeness that I think um, people definitely uh, should. You can now get all the old Bill Mantlow issues in trade paperback. I think you can get his whole run, um, and you can get it on digital as well. So it's it's pretty easy if you've got the right device. So I would I would recommend that. I'd recommend doing that. That's that's a very um, there's that one issue. Uh, I think it's during the the bit where the Hulk's sort of mindless at the crossroads, but it's it gets very deep into the whole Brian Banner um, thing. It's it's where Brian Banner's really fleshed out as the character he has become. This sort of you know, the cause of all Bruce's um, issues, the kind of... And and there's a lot of very, very strong, very subtle kind of character work that goes in there. Um, there's a kind of... Uh, yeah, Bruce, the whole, the whole family situation is like very... Um, uh, I don't think before that, it had really been, it had really been fleshed out at all. It had really been examined. You know what made Bruce Banner the way he was. So I think that's huge. And then before that, I think really in terms of big influences, you're just talking about like the weirder issues, the kind of more bizarre, like Harpy, uh, Betty becoming Harpy is just uh, the kind of. There was a lot of this sort of mad genius um, in Marvel in the 70s where people were just taking, you know, things that 
in a later decade might have ended up on the psychoanalyst couch and just like throwing them onto the page and just letting them sit there. So, you know, everything's this kind of suppurating miasma of like all the weird issues of everyone who's working on it, which is great. Um, and I've tried to I've tried to bring some of that myself to the uh, to the Hulk, but it's um, yeah, it's I think Mantlo is probably Mantlo is probably the the big one, the kind of the linchpin where where things really start, where we we really go from like the more classic Hulk, who's still very changeable but has a sort of true North that he returns to, to the Hulk we know. Which is much more, much more malleable. Much more. Um, uh, there's, you very rarely see the the kind of Hulk smash Hulk anymore, and I think that's where that started. So, the Hulk is a character that I think a lot of people associate with a representation of anger and rage, and there's a lot of reasons for that, and they're good reasons. Uh, and I think that your run has explored that more than any other time than I personally read Hulk comics. And like, as we discussed, I, I'm not nearly as well-versed. I, I think I've, I've just more read the, the last 15 years of Hulk stuff. Um, but your run speaks to me, at least, as a meditation on anger in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I, I have it's, – it's kind of two parts to this question, but the first part is – what did you bring to the table to to sort of have that discussion through this book? Um, what did you associate yourself with Bruce's pain and his anger and the rest of the characters as well? Um, I mean, there really, there is there is a fair amount of me in this book. It's um, I did go through some uh, some personal stuff as I was writing. Uh, the, the early issues that kind of colored colored my view of the book as a whole I won't I won't get into that if you don't mind but it's um, that's fair but on the other hand you know I was I was ang- I was feeling a lot of anger at the time and I mean this might just be a, a side effect of writing the Hulk but like I was feeling a lot of kind of um, anger at the time and I still you know I still I still get angry you know to a certain extent that that part of me is like is starting to burn out it gets used so much but it's like um i know it's basically you know the times the times we're living in the kind of the more i i see the world the more in the world makes me angry and it's like this is kind of i am not alone in that that is like a um there's a lot of that going going on but there's also that kind of um there's that thing where you sort of what you do with the anger and that you know how can you challenge channel it can you can you sort of turn it into fuel can you uh can you use it to like um to do good things make good things happen i um and like, what are the limitations of that? And it's, and this is a kind of ongoing, this is an ongoing thought process, but it's like, um, I don't know. I don't like the idea that like, um, anger is like necessarily 
like, oh, it's a terrible thing. You should never get angry, which is kind of the Bruce, the Bruce position in that, like, there's always this thing of like, uh, and this has been, this is another thing that Peter David was examining a lot, but the, um, the idea that Bruce is essentially kind of has been blocked off from like feeling honest anger. Um, because if he gets angry, he turns into this giant green rage monster and things, you know, things get broken. But uh, yeah, also it's like, you know, if the Hulk's a creature of anger, if, if the Hulk's a creature of rage, then, you know, which anger, which rage, you know, what, um, what is he angry about? Besides like, I don't know, Bruce Banner getting his toe trodden on or like, seeing a rainbow or like um, <laughs> that was that was one he saw he saw like um, there was this one issue where he like he saw a rainbow on a perfectly sunny day and he was like that's not normal that's not normal meteorological events I'm gonna turn into the Hulk um, but it's like I don't know it's it's tough it's like uh, I do kind of feel like there's this sort of um there's a kind of rational side to anger. And then it becomes a question of like, okay, well, are you going to do anything with this? Or are you going to just break stuff? Or are you just going to stew in it? And it's like the Hulk is kind of almost an, an avatar of like dysfunctional rage. And like... Uh, you know, he smashes. That's that's his verb. That's what he does. And it's like, you know, he destroys things. And it's like um, part of part of what we were doing was like certainly part of how we pitched it was the idea that Bruce Banner would be kind of trying to use this destructive force inside him, you know, for good, and would be sort of evaluating what like what that would mean and and how that would work. And and we're now at a stage where you know, he's got these very big, uh, these very big goals, these very big sort of big things to smash. And it's like the question is, is it going to work? And you know, is, is is that enough? Is it enough just to like, just to break things? Or you know, what's I? I guess we'll find out. But it's uh, you know, I don't think I don't think dropping. I don't know how much dropping like a green rage monster on stuff helps things without other things happening. You know, not that we have one of those in the real world anyway. So, so yeah, there's, there's parts of, I don't know. There's, there's parts of myself in this. I kind of, I kind of wanted to like explore, explore things like that, explore those, explore those questions. Um, you know, I don't, I don't pretend to have like answers to them, but, they're worth exploring, I think. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I, I think, for me personally, as as a new reader, uh, it, it's helpful because it, it it allows you to evaluate your own feelings and your own anger. And you made the point to mention that you know anger is not a celebrated emotion, and especially uh, we're we're taught not kind of not to give into our anger. It's the only emotion that people actively tell you is sort of bad and to have there be a book where it's like 
this character does not, you know, he can't really avoid his anger, and his also his anger produces this this monstrous creature. I think is is it can be a tool in a lot of ways for you to reflect on your own self. The character actually that I really attached to very quickly was Betty, because. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if this was what was in the text or if I'm reading more into it, but I thought that each Hulk character, each character in the Hulk family had a different expression of anger or lack thereof expression. And so for her, she has all these things going on in her mind that she wants to say to these different characters who are speaking to her. But instead of talking, she says, mm-hmm, or she tells a lie or whatever. And she's repressing and suppressing all of this rage. So when she turns into the harpy, for me, it was a traumatic moment. It was like, oh my God, that's so, you know, that's, that's awful. But that's where she's able to express herself when she, when she transforms like that. And I just thought, I thought that was really cool. I didn't even know that character existed. So I, I really enjoyed that. I mean, the, the history of, of Betty and Bruce is an extremely, um, it's, it's, it's crazy. The, uh, I mean, we did include uh, we did include her very first line in um, in the Hulk. We we flash back to that, um, which was you know she's she's brought in as Bruce's like supporting cast, and the very first thing she says on the page is um, I don't know it's something like Bruce Banner is one of America's most celebrated atomic atomic scientists. I'm sure he knows what he's doing. <laughs> and that's just like. It's the funniest. It's the funniest first line, but it's also like um, this thing where it's like even even when she kind of became a Hulk, you know, she was like the Harpy for about like five issues, and this was sort of seen as like a really kind of oh no, this is terrible. Um, and then that went away, and it never and it never came back. And like the time when she was a Hulk for like a long period and have her own book, she was sort of. Um, she was a She-Hulk. She was kind of like uh, not just, um, you know, you already you already have one of those, and it's like, um, and you know, you have you have you have She-Hulk, who's kind of like at that point had carved herself out a her own space and was no longer like, um, you know, a very very quickly carved out her own space. So like, she wasn't like a reflection of. Uh, of Bruce, um, and then you you had Betty, who was just sort of what another She-Hulk, and it's like, so it's not really kind of her own her own identity, and it's as I remember, she was kind of like just there was some general stuff about her not having any inhibitions, but it was like or expressing fear, I think, but um, right, yeah, I recall that. it wasn't her anger she was expressing, um. And it was like that the thing you were saying about her her holding stuff back um i did I did have a voice for her like very early on that was like, okay, she wouldn't say stuff, but it'd be very obvious what she wanted to say um and then when she became the harpy, I had to kind of think up like what what voice does that character have and i have I have one rule for her, which is um no more than five or six words in a sentence but not in a hulk smash way it's just that's all she needs um yeah. it's like any anything more is just yakking on it's like um 
And now we're kind of, I think, in this new, um, in the issue that just came out, and I think in an upcoming issue, we kind of compare her with Leonard Sampson a little bit, and we kind of have them in situations together. And like, you know, Sampson, he talks and he talks and he talks. And uh, and yeah, it's, it's, there is that thing of like, um, wanting to give her just as just as the Hulk she becomes is different and her own. I wanted to give her like a voice as that Hulk that wasn't like um, not just like her own voice but a bit gruffer, not just like Hulk speak, not just like, you know, putting on the the kind of uh, Jimmy Cagney, you know. Um, but yeah, I wanted I wanted Harpy to kind of have her own her own voice and her own sort of um yeah to to be her own anger basically to like to have a different kind of of thing going on um and then i guess i guess i'd wrestle with samson it's much more a sort of he's very different because he's just he's doc samson all the time but there's that kind of yeah there's no there's no anger there he's just sort of having this kind of existential depression really but like, uh, yeah, I'm starting to I'm starting to get into like, um, I'm starting to get into stuff that will might start leading to spoiler town. So I'll uh, I'll cut it off there. Fair enough. <laughs> no, I I think that this book stands out in a lot of ways because there appears to be a lack of sort of fear on your part to take risks and to trust that the reader can handle the intensity of the emotions that these characters do have. Because even in the way that Betty was reserved, I still felt her anger and I still felt that she was going through this deep process the same way that Bruce has been going through this process. And, you know, for the whole, I I don't know how many issues prior to Betty's appearance, we've been seeing Bruce wrestle with a lot of really dark stuff. And not a lot of books are willing to challenge their their readers in that way. So I appreciate that a lot. I mean, I, I don't like, um, I don't like not challenging the reader. I kind of feel like that's, you know, that's, that's not a good thing to do. It's, um, yeah, I kind of, I, I run into this thing where, um, there's a lot of sort of misreadings of things and like, cause I try and, um, yeah, I don't, I don't like sort of laying it out. So I don't like laying it out. So kind of, um, easily. I want, I want the reader to be able to like analyze and, and make a few leaps of their own and make some interpretations of their own and kind of, um, come up with stuff i uh i don't really like it when people ask oh so what does this mean what's what's you know the kind of uh what's the power hierarchy how does this relate to this you know it's like you know some of it's it's not it's not a game of D, it's like a poem it's like a lot of this is there to be interpreted and kind of sort of i feel like the the reader the reader should be doing an amount of the work in terms of creating the text 
in that it's like, you know, it's it's my job to present something that, you know, it shouldn't just like slide in easily. There should be a bit of thought, a bit of wrestling with it, a bit of trying of trying to kind of, um, even even with like a superhero comic, there should be some kind of like meaty chunks in there for like uh, it shouldn't just like slide down in a a very easy sort of swallow. There should be like something to wrestle with, something to sort of get your teeth into. And also the kind of, again, it's that thing of, okay, everybody's reading the book. Do we want to play it safe or do we, do we not, you know, in the knowledge that like all playing it safe is going to get us is like a slow decline in interest and people reading it. And and it'd be kind of betraying the book itself, you know. Do we want to do we want to make it easy or do we want to make it difficult? Um, and that's that's kind of always that's always the choice. And it's I think everybody chooses make it difficult, and then you know the books stand or they fall. But I don't think anybody. I think there are very few people out there who who play it that safe you know, by their own lights. It feels like you challenge yourself, too, not just the reader. I, I think of characters like the Hulk, where they're physically boundless. Hulk can do anything. He can withstand anything. And it feels like you try to challenge him fundamentally as a as a, as a character and as a concept you you literally send him to hell you involve uh cosmic personifications of evil and hate and anger itself and 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 you put things in a cosmic context how challenging is it for you to take a tangible character like the hulk and put him in in in, outside of normal boundaries like that I mean, it's. I think that's kind of the only the only choice when you're. Um, I mean, he is. We are putting more restrictions on him a little bit. We're sort of we're playing with the idea of like exactly how how boundless a character he is. Um, I think one, but one thing I decided early on was like the the classic catchphrase is Hulk is the strongest one there is. And very early on, I was like, well, if that's true, then let it be true. You know, it's like, for our purposes, he is the strongest one there is. And of course, immediately I get loads of people going, yeah, but is he stronger than like the living tribunal? And I'm like, oh, who cares? (laughs) Uh, That's not the question we're asking. But it's like, for the, for all intents and purposes, you know, he is, if you put the Hulk up against anybody in a fist fight or an arm wrestle, the Hulk should win. Um, not because that makes him like tough or strong or better. It's just a condition we are operating under because those questions are really boring. It's like who's stronger is a really boring question. So we're just taking it off the table. And the other, you know, another dull question is, oh man, will the Hulk die? And it's like probably not in like issue three of his own title. No, I'd have thought. Um, so we kind of take that off the table and it's like, what's left? Uh, 
once you've taken like the easy questions and the boring questions off the table, it's like you can start getting into some really interesting stuff. And it's and this this isn't something you could do with Spider Man. I couldn't say I couldn't say with Spider Man, like, okay, well he'll never die and you know, if it's a contest of strength he'll always win. Um because that it's not what Spider Man stories you know are about. It's like I I think the I think the thing for Spider-Man is like the question, the variant of that question is, will Spider-Man ever do the wrong thing? Will he ever be tempted to do the wrong thing? And I mean, if you if you were to say early on, okay, well, in our book, he's never going to be tempted to do the wrong thing because those stories always, you know, we've seen too many of those stories. I could kind of get behind that. I could get behind that as a decision. And it's a similar thing, you know. What is the one thing this character is known for let's stop challenging them on that thing uh because you know we've seen it so many times let's let's start challenging them in these other areas let's start attacking from directions they're not used to let's you know let's um let's get into some some different ideas and some different questions and sort of and do things that way uh it's like you know flash is the fastest man alive it's like you know that Flash stories where I, I have not read any recent Flash. So in case there was just like a 200 issue story where he had to outrun somebody, you know, I'm sorry, but like, can the Flash outrun somebody? It's not like, you know, even Flash versus Superman, it's like, okay, whose book is it? Is it a, whose book is <laughs> right. it? And is it a more interesting story if they win or lose? If it's, if it's Superman's book, then okay, what's the most interesting outcome for Superman? That's who wins. You know, depending on the stories you're telling. Last last Flash Superman race I saw, the more the outcome the story needed was Superman winning. So he won. Because the race is not the thing that everybody's reading the book for. People are reading the book to like to see how does Superman win the impossible race? You know, what is it inherently about Superman? That was and that was what that was what the comic was about. So, you know, that was the interesting part. Um and it's kind of the same with the Hulk. It's like yeah, he's always going to be the strongest. He's always going to survive. What does that mean? What does that do? It's like, that's the question. So, yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm rambling. No, no, that it's it's funny because another Grant comparison is his Justice League where he has the seven characters who can save the universe over and over. Well, how do you do that interestingly? That that was that was kind of where I likened it to, um, but the distinction here for me is you take Hulk just in a significantly kind of uh, dark direction uh, with all the with all the John Carpenter esque body horror. Yeah, that's 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 very much. Uh, I think Joe Joe very much brought that to the book. I think if. Um... Very early on, I've probably still told the story a bunch of times, but very early on, uh, we had an email exchange where it turned out we both really liked The Thing. Um, I see The Thing in this a lot. <laughs> so, and I mean, Joe is always like making suggestions that are along the lines of kind of, um, 
you know, how about we do this? Like with the with Zemno, um, he knew I was bringing Zemno in, and that was like one of the. It was like one of the characters. Um, there are characters that like, you know, Joe kind of redesigns and puts his puts his spin on, and Zemno, you know, wasn't one of those characters. Except then we got a thing, like a little doodle through of like, we're just like, yeah, I think this is how he eats. You know, he doesn't have a mouth. I think this is probably how he eats. And it's, oh my God, that's going to be an issue 32. Oh my God. That was, you know, and that was, it was just a little doodle. And it's like, um, at some point, something I'd love to do with Joe is uh, get him to do some pages just in his roughs. Because he's got these really amazing roughs that are like, oh, they're they're almost impressionist, and like, but they convey everything. So it's like, um, I'll be interested in doing a couple of pages like that at some point. And obviously, that lighted this workload considerably. But um, yeah, no, I, I do want people to see like uh, people who haven't picked up the director's cuts to uh, to see what his roughs look like, and I, I do think they could. I don't know how yet, but I think they could become part of a story. How's your collaboration been? Like, it sounds like you guys are working in tandem very uh, elegantly. I mean, we're we're in sync at this point. Um, I don't think there's I don't think there's any point where I'm like there. There were a couple of points early on where we had like you know there were some minor corrections here and there but like no these days i'm just like yeah that looks amazing and like you know i'll point out a particular bit of it that looks especially good and that's kind of the feedback um and then you know we have we kind of you know keep an eye on like uh you know his how much because he's very fast he's he's very good and he's very fast and he's like um just you know an uh, incredible artist but like uh you know obviously he's a human being and we're putting these out at a very strong pace so we're sort of keeping an eye on like and we plan for like the guest artists and that way they can be special guests and not filling in so like uh i think in 31 we've got because uh, issue 33 is coming up and that is with the legacy numbering that is Hulk 750 oh, wow. so that's going to be that's going to be quite a big one and we want Joe to draw as much of it as possible so we've brought in a guest to kind of and the nature you'll see how it works when uh Issues 31 and 32 come out, but the nature of the story means that a guest artist would be very appropriate for, like, pieces of it. And then we can, you know, put Joe on, like, an exercise issue 33, and he can do, like, a lot of that. And it's it all works out. And this is the kind of the mathematics of guest artists. It's, it's, it's how they go from being... one The one thing very early on in the pitch... And I've done this twice since um, with Valkyrie and with Guardians is we very deliberately made issue three the guest artist issue because at the time a big 
a big problem was um, you'd have your opening trade and it would be like issues four and five or issues five and six would be like buy a guest artist and everybody would go, oh, they've got to fill in it and sales would drop off. So, which is, you know, unfair to the artists coming on board and, you know, it's it's not cool. Um, and there's various ways around it. You can sort of get like two massive artists and have them like alternate. Um, but the way the way we wanted to solve the problem is like bring in bring in guest artists and like make them make it special, make these special things that people like were excited by. Uh, so issue three was kind of the Rashomon issue with all of these different artists for that reason. And then issue three of Valkyrie was again we brought in a whole bunch of artists and did a kind of not not the same gimmick but using different artists like for different worlds and that was that was fun it was also all double page spreads which was like it was a little bit of a hat on a hat but it was uh i'm i'm happy with how it came out but uh you know it was very much the artist issue um and then guardians three uh issue three we've got and i you know, no spoilers at all, but we've got uh, three kind of three guest artists on telling like three kind of interconnected stories. Uh, it's really hard to describe without spoiling it, but it's like each focusing on a different guardian. Um, and then, but it's all, it's also, it's also, it's all telling one story and it's all telling the ongoing story of the first five issues. So, you know, it's doing, it's operating at all these levels. But one of the levels it's operating on is we want to have, you know, we want to give like, um, oh, and, you know, a, a little leeway, a little wriggle room. We also want to make that an event. So it's like, we want to have our cake and eat it. One of the things that I appreciated most about the Immortal Hulk run so far is the way that those guest artist issues do feel special and additive because, you know, I, I won't lie. I think a lot of people do get a little frustrated when, you know, you're reading this book and you're happy with the creative team and then it shifts and, and it isn't, it isn't fair. And it's certainly not the artist's fault, but it does impact the storytelling. You want to see, the same individuals working together and when that gets broken up for an issue or a couple of issues it can it can impact the flow and so i think it was a really uh heads up choice to make those issues feel special and quite frankly some of my favorite issues of this run so far are the guest artist issues taking nothing away from joe it's just that those issues end up feeling unique and fresh and special i mean that's that's kind of the idea to sort of to take this thing, which you know, as you say, from like the reading perspective, it's like um, it can feel like you know, oh, I I wanted this, but it's this. Um, to sort of take that and make it into into a strength, into a kind of selling point. Um, I mean, that was kind of uh, like I say, that was in the pitch because I was thinking when I pitched the book, I was thinking like, what is every single reason a reader has ever fallen off one of my books? How do I make that not happen? 
so it was very much kind of it was almost designed like um in addition to the kind of you know the the tone of it which you know, I, I pitched very hard and the kind of the plot beats and the, the thinking that went into it. There was also a lot of thinking in terms of like how do we how do we avoid the thing where, you know uh, how do we get past the kind of the natural cynicism? Or the uh not even cynicism, the kind of the disappointment factor where you pick something up and it's it's not you know, you you open up your McDonald your your burger and it's like, uh, uh, I don't know, a cheese sandwich. Um, that would be a problem for me. Yeah, that's yeah, certainly yeah. true. Yeah, it's like there's a cheese sandwich thing there, and it's a perfectly good cheese sandwich, but it's not what you ordered. Um, you know how how to get past that? How to kind of uh, how to get away from the narrative where if the artist on a book is not the starting artist, it is a failure. And that was a narrative that was like quite strong at the time. You had a lot of articles in places like Bleeding Cool of like, oh, so and so's on the book this month. Oh, you know, get fill in artist. And it's like, okay, that's the current narrative. How do we change that? And it's um, so yeah, that was and you know, I had I had that idea. Other people have had other ideas. It's like, and I, I think there is. I think there is there is a slight cynicism that has I think been earned a little bit, you know, by us. And yeah, so it's it's kind of because I know there are a lot of people who are like going into the run thinking, oh, this will be over in twelve issues, and like, uh, which is why we had number two was also a number one and number three was also number one. So if you were thinking like, Oh, I'm not going to bother with this. It'll be, it'll be gone. You know, like every other book I've ever been on, let's face it. Um, so if they wanted, if they were a little late to the party, if a reader was a little bit late to the party, they'd get a number one or the experience of a number one. And like, um, yeah, that was the kind of, so that was the thinking there. It's all about like, you know, so if people do think, oh, I don't, I don't know about this. I think I'm going to pass on it for now. That's not like forever. And since then, you know, obviously the trades have been very popular. Um, I think one reason it started selling as well as it did when it did was because uh, it it was sort of easy for people. We had all those second printings and stuff, and it was also easy for people who picked up the trades to get to the end of the trade and then carry on in singles. So they were like moving from the trade to the singles and then, you know, new readers month by month. Um, but yeah, these are all, these are all factors. These are all kind of things to think about, but it's like, um, cause it's like people aren't, you know, the people who were saying, Oh, it'll be all. It'll all be over in like twelve. They weren't wrong to feel that way. You know, they were going on prior experience. It's like, but you don't want to. You don't want to be all like, okay, well, fine, don't come in then. You know, you don't want to be like that. Uh, so yeah, yeah, there was a lot of there was a lot of thinking about like the mechanics, the mechanics of getting readers in, of welcoming readers in. No, you're you're that's perfect and and it actually spurs a thought in me and I, I really don't know how much of this you can even address but uh the fact that you put so much thought into 
how to retain readership and, you know, kind of how to welcome people in at at different points in the series. Not necessarily just issue one, but, you know, down the road even. Um, is that something that other creative teams, other writers are thinking about and coming up with strategies to deal with? Or is it kind of like a lot of people just approach it like, all right, I'm just going to do my best, tell the story, and whatever happens, happens. Because what you're talking about is not an abnormal problem in comics. This is actually a very prevalent problem in comics. And I think a lot of really great series don't get out of the blocks. And you, you you spoke about your experiences, and it seems like you learned a lot from them. Do you think that other creators are also learning those lessons and applying them? Um, I mean, I can't speak for every other creators. I know, I know there are definitely some who do think very, very strongly about this, much stronger than I did when I started out. Um, I guess I'll give the example of, uh, you know, Kieran is somebody who, Kieran Gill is somebody who thinks very strongly about um, these kind of mechanics and these kind of uh, these sorts of things. He did a he did a podcast called uh, Decompressed where he went really into like you know questions like that um but yeah that and you know he's far from being alone there's there's a lot of people who uh, who put a lot of thought into um you know what their what the number one looks like you know what the uh, especially especially on the indie on the indie side where there's less of like a house style um and i mean on on that subject i mean some of the things we do uh, their experiments and we still don't really know you know if without like control groups we still don't really know if they're like um if they're working like things like uh we have those quotes at the front which give the book a very distinctive vibe a very distinctive tone and presence that was that was almost an accident we kind of i knew i wanted to do one in issue one and then uh Tom and Alana, who were the editorial team at the time, were like, okay, do we want to have a quote in at the start of issue two as well? And I was like, yeah, definitely. Thinking, yeah, great. It'll be at the bottom of the recap page. It'll be nice. There was no recap page. It was just like, no, yeah, we're doing that again. And now that we've done it twice in a row, we're doing that forever. And it's like, and, you know, I spent like, um, God, I spent two hours last night and another hour this morning, like trying to find a good public domain quote for like the latest issue. (laughs) Um, So I'm locked in now. But it's, the thing is, I don't know, because what I was thinking at the time with issue one was like, right, no recap page on issue one. Because a recap page on issue one is a giant red flag that says you need to have read something else beforehand. And it's like, I don't think it, and I, my thinking was, all right, what if it doesn't welcome readers in? What if it pushes them away? Uh, what if it's counterintuitive? Uh, so we exp- I, we experimented with not doing it. But, and, you know, we've had no recap pages. We're like, I think we're the only Marvel book that doesn't do recap pages. I don't, I can't think of any others that, uh, that don't have, that don't have one somewhere. Um, there might be, there probably are. But like, uh, I don't know if that is, it's an experiment. You know, we, and I don't know if we've got all the data in on that yet. I don't know if we can say, I mean, we can't start having recap pages now. Because they just look terrible. Right. Um, 
and I really like my quotes, but it's like, uh, you know, is is it good not to have a recap page? Is it bad? You know, did we, you know, what's, it's an experiment. We, uh, we don't know what the lesson is from that yet. And I mean, I think we're probably going to, yeah, I don't, I'm trying to think with Guardians what the situation is. I think that might be going back to recap pages. But like, you know, again, we sort of, we try things out and then we try the things out. It's it's sort of an ongoing process. I don't think, I think people are sort of looking at Immortal Hulk and kind of, I, you know, I'd, uh, it'd be, it'd be not, it'd be very flattering if they're taking lessons from it, but it's like what those lessons are, you know, will be different for different people. And, um, and it's all very experimental anyway, so it's like I I don't know, you know. It's like uh, I imagine there are other there are other creators out there, and they're kind of conducting their own experiments and doing their own their own thinking, and they found what works for them. And you know, maybe maybe there will be some some cross pollination. I've certainly learned a few things from. I've certainly learned a few things in terms of like. Well, you know, use of exposition, things like that, from other writers. So just like looking at their work. So it's like, yeah, this kind of cross-pollination does happen. But at the same time, it's a very, it's not an exact science by any means. So I, I want to I wanna talk about Guardians. But before we get into that and then, you know, we'll close out, I do want to get into some of the, the listener questions that we did get. For oh, you, yeah, sure. People were very excited to have you on with us today. Uh, so first up, we actually have a question. Uh, these these are coming from our from our Discord server, by the way. If you guys out there are not on our Discord server and want to get on, we do giveaways. We we are ask, answering questions when we have creators on. We are asking the questions you guys send us. So the link will be in the description below. But uh, the question, the first question comes from Snake of Talents, and he asks, ask him what other characters he would be interested in writing at Marvel and DC. I never cared that much for Hulk, but Ewing has been killing it on that book. It's it's a good question. The trouble the trouble is it's also, you know, whose job do you want to take? <laughs> um, so I'm I'm very conscious of that. Uh I don't know, I feel like um at some point, you know, once once Mark has finished and once the guy after him who's like champing at the bit has finished and you know I, I I will get in the queue at like a future date for Doctor Strange um, but you know I'm, I'm in the queue for that one it's like I've got no burning desire to like steal anybody's job uh, who wants it um, you know I've got no I've got no ideas for Doctor Strange that can't wait uh, aside from that there's a there's a few things I've got some but the the thing is, I can kind of. I feel like I can tell the stories I want to tell with most characters. There are there are basically, it's not at the level where I'm sort of thinking the story and then plugging characters in. It's but it's like everything I write is like half stuff that is suggested by the characters I'm asked, you know, do you have any cool ideas about so-and-so? Do you have any cool ideas about the Inhumans? Do you have any cool ideas about the Guardians? It's like, half of it comes from there, you know. And then the other half is like, okay, how does this plug into my ideas and concerns at the present moment? And 
something is kind of, of is made from that. So, I mean, basically, you know, if you if you like, ask me about a Marvel character or a DC character, I'll probably have some something to say about them. You know, give me give me ten minutes, and I'll come up with like my take on them. But like, at the same time, there's no one character that I'm feeling like I have a real burning desire to like to write this character. The um, the reason I mentioned Doctor Strange is because you know, obviously, I've been thinking about like magic a lot and these sort of esoteric ideas a lot. So you know, it sort of it plugs into my wheelhouse at the moment. But like. You know, once you know, once uh, Mark gets to the end of his story, I might be thinking about something completely different. So you know, I might not want to do Doctor Strange at that point. So it's like it kind of. So that I mean, that's kind of a name out of a hat almost. Uh, on the DC side, it's it's a little easier. Uh, I don't know. I mean, with all the crises, I used to really like Wally West, but I feel like he's. A very different character now. He's sort of been crisis a little bit, so it's like <laughs> yes, he has. <laughs> he's not the same, and I, I didn't really feel particularly bad about what happened to him in uh, in Heroes and Crisis. I was like, oh, meh. I was because at that point, you know, Wally West was uh, the Wally West I knew was uh, long gone. This was just somebody else with you know. A familiar name and a familiar face, but it wasn't the Flash. It was just you know a character called Wally West for the new generation, not for me anymore. So you know I was fine with like, yeah, fine, whatever. That's that's an interesting story. Go for it. But it's like um, so I didn't feel any kind of sense of betrayal or anything. But at the same time, there's a sort of there's a sort of sadness with the DC characters that like the ones who have that strong bond. I like they're long gone. They, you know, they're ashes in the wind. They, you know, you, you'll never get that back again. It's gone. And it's like with the Marvel characters, there's at least that kind of continuity where you can sort of feel along a thread from like the present to some sort of primal essence of them that you remember. Or you know, maybe maybe the version that you really love of the Marvel characters is the version coming out right now. You know, certainly um, the X Men. I really got into with the the Grant Morrison X Men. Ah, uh, yep, yes. So, um, I mean, I was, I like, I was, I was a big reader of the Claremont X Men, and I, I really liked the, the emotional core of that team and the kind of the, um, you know, obviously, you know, when you were there, that was like they were huge, and rightfully so, but like, that was in the past to me. Um, so when the Morrison new X-Men came along, I was sort of, I found myself getting enthusiastic again, getting excited again in a way that I hadn't been for a while. Uh, and this is where I stopped plugging, plugging the mouse. Um, because yeah, no, I'm, I'm feeling, I'm feeling that again. I am legitimately feeling that again right now with the, with the Hickman stuff. So it's kind of like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm excited. And it's like, you know, which is not to say anything, not to say anything to, uh, X stories that have come before the creators of those stories. You know, I was I was enjoying reading the X Men, but like this, you know, I'm sort of feeling the crackle again a little bit now. Um, I think because it's doing something different and something that hasn't been really done before. I don't think in this way. So I'm sort of I've kind of got that crackle back, and it's 
So yeah, I kind of I don't I think to answer that question, there's no it can be any character. I just I just it's the ideas that it's the ideas that excite me. I like that answer. That's a it's a insightful. Yeah. Uh, we're Got there we're also end. big. Fan. <laughs> we're also uh, admirers of what Hickman's been doing on on uh, X Men. Uh, we have another question here okay. for you. This is from cool. Spring Hill Rick. Uh, he says that that's what he goes by in the Discord. Uh, I would ask AE. Is there anything he put out there in retrospect he regrets or wishes he spent more time on? Uh, I think my work for Dynamite could have used another couple of passes. And I, yeah, I mean, it's it's old. So looking at it now, um, I don't know, I was sort of, I was kind of coming in, this was Jennifer Blood, I was coming into that kind of doing uh, a slightly insulting Garth Ennis impression. You know, I mean, it's it's going to be somebody out there's like favorite comic, and I don't want to make that person feel like a jerk. Um, I think if I were to go back to that again and give it a polish, give it another pass, you know, with the with the extra years, um, I think it would be a better comic, and I think I would not touch the ninjets at all. Uh, I think I should have argued a little harder about that one. I don't think there's any saving that. There's a nice joke about butts <laughs> in the last issue, and that's literally the only part of that that I that I feel any sort of kind of. Uh, that's actually the only part of that I I I feel warmly about. Um, so you know, sorry if sorry if you're a huge fan of that particular book. Um, I think I would do something very different with it today. In terms of the Marvel stuff, there's been a couple of things that I heard were coming to an end, uh, and I had to scramble a little bit to fit everything in. Um, Generally, in those cases, eh, you know, it's, I don't have any, there's nothing I, there's nothing I could have done aside from develop my precognitive powers but certainly it taught me not to assume that i had uh as much time as i thought i did so now when i'm pitching stuff i think of it in very modular terms you know even even having you know done this book that everybody likes i i still think okay how do I get out of this after six issues? How, how do I get out of this after 12 issues? You know, if that's how long it is, how does it end? So it's got a well-paced ending. Because I think there's been a couple of occasions where people have felt that the endings to things have been a little bit... A lot has gone into a small space in a way that... Uh, you know, maybe maybe people didn't feel was for them. Uh, I'm a I'm a big fan of cramming things into tiny spaces, but it's like uh, <laughs> you know, as as a reading experience goes, it's like you know, it's not for everybody. I do know that. So the last uh, comment that I wanted to read actually came from the YouTube interview that you did with us uh, at New York Comic Con. There were many many comments, uh, but uh, I really just want to focus in 
on one last one. <clears throat> and this one comes from A. Martin. And he said, Al Ewing is a brilliant fit with the Hulk. When I finish reading an issue, I can't wait to find out what happens in the next one. Once the new one drops, I read it right away. I never thought I'd be like this with a comic book again. Takes me right back to being a kid. So not a question, but I just thought that was a nice sort of comment. I mean, that's that's a really nice thing to hear. Um, I don't tend to I don't tend to look at the comments on YouTube. So you know, obviously, I I didn't see that. I missed that. But it's um, that is really nice to um, that is really nice to hear. And you know, thank you for thanks for bringing that one to my attention. Um, I do feel. I do feel very uh, grateful to uh, to everybody who's sort of, you know, taken a chance on the Hulk and kind of um, got into it. I do feel like, uh, you know, very glad that people are, because it's not, like you say, you know, it's a little bit challenging in places. It's not the, uh, it's not the most, um, it's sort of welcoming in some ways, but in other ways, not so much. So I'm, uh, I am very gratified that so many people are reading it and sticking with it and kind of getting into the trades and, you know, coming to it from these various places. So thank you very much, I guess, is my, my answer to that. I think a lot of us are grateful that uh, you and Joe are producing such a fabulous book too, honestly. Oh, thank you very much. But um, we can uh, switch gears a little bit here. You are working on a brand new book, the first issue of which is coming out a week from now. Yeah. Um, yep, a week a week today. Uh, when we spoke in New York, uh, you had told me that you were uh, an admirer of one of my favorite books of all time, uh, Abnett and Landing's Guardians of the Galaxy, and Nova. Nova, I'm a, I'm a big fan of that. That really kind of... Um, that really informs my uh my kind of perspective on nova it's like yeah the version of nova i write is very much the version of nova i was reading about in that book but with all of the additional crap he has been through mm-hmm. heaped on him so it's like you know but it's it's very much coming from that place um i've sort of i've gone a record a few times as saying that i kind of see nova as somebody who can no longer like exist on earth really i think i think this is something that happens it's it's nova and it's star lord who are like the two big characters but there's a couple of other characters from earth who've sort of gone to space and not really come back they did that with the civil war kind of retrospective when he visits he's like a yeah yeah fish out of water that's that's where i that's where i got that from this this thing where he's just not able to to fit in in this on this tiny planet with its tiny problems and it's like um yeah basically and there's a few people who said that was sort of that's a bit like the hal jordan thing at the moment in green lantern but it's like i think nova did it first um so it's like i don't i don't feel like i'm getting it from there but as um I mean that's definitely my my thing with Nova uh, and with the Guardians generally. I kind of I am trying to. I think maybe veer into and this is this is kind of continuing down a path that is, you know, from Donnie before me and Jerry before him. Uh, but it's, I'm really thinking in terms of the big like space politics of it all, the big 
the question of like, you know, space is Marvel space is this place with all of these giant galactic empires kind of uh, with their internal issues and they're sort of, they're pushing against each other. And like, we just saw an incoming, uh, which has now come out so I can, I can talk about this, that the, uh, the Cree and the Skrull have, have formed an alliance. Um, I was I was expecting people to flip out about that, like, uh, and a lot of people did. But it was like, um, yeah, that's two enormous galactic powers, like joining together after it's the after like years of Cold War. It's the equivalent of like, you know, America and Russia saying, "Yeah, we've teamed up now." Yeah, it's like we're one superpower now. So yeah. Have fun, the rest of you. So it's like that's like a huge, that's a massive thing, and it's not yet, it's not yet filtered through as we see in kind of, uh, we, as we see in Guardians, like the rest of the galaxy, it's still at the rumor level. Uh, and as that breakthrough, as that breaks through to like, we're gonna start seeing more other people like mobilizing and kind of, you know, we'll see, we'll see the sort of political uh, shape of the galaxy kind of kind of shaping around a lot of it a lot of it is inspired by um kind of old old sort of science fiction books i read as a kid which had a lot of a lot of things of sort of galactic you know politics on the galactic scale and like the movement of like vast vast armies and vast empires and kind of uh and i'm kind of combining that with sort of the like the modern sense that uh you know things are, you know things are sort of going somewhere, and we don't really know where yet. And we're kind of uh, there's there's definitely a sense that I I personally didn't have in like say 2010. Uh, no, I say that, but like. Maybe it's just got worse. But, like, uh, there's definitely a sense that, like, you know, we're starting to see the tectonic plates of uh, global politics and global society sort of grinding together a little. And, like, we're starting to see the connections between, like, okay, how does this over here affect this over here? And none of it's very good. And I, I kind of see certainly Nova, but to an extent other other Guardians, as people are like looking at looking at something on the horizon. And Nova especially. We we dealt with this in the Guardians annual where I did I did like a Nova solo story where he basically he was basically predicting a major catastrophe for Galactic Society coming down the pipe from like various and he gets back to that in Guardians One. He sort of ex- it's a there's a there's a a panel in that that's just him explaining where all the different galactic factions are right now, and you know and none of it is good. But like the the point of Guardians is that I don't want it to just be on its own. I don't want I don't want space to be this random encounter table where like you roll a dice and it's the Badoon. <laughs> it's like I want the adventures the Guardians have and the things the other super teams are doing to have knock-on effects and like so it's possible to map uh, 
what I've got planned for the future, it's possible to see it coming and it's possible to kind of to map it out. So I, I guess I've been this is this is a bad analogy because I've not I've not watched years and years and I've not seen Game of Thrones. But it's a little like Game of Thrones meets years and years in space. Um, <laughs> yeah. From what I understand of those two things. With the Guardians with the Guardians in the middle of it. Uh and and on the personal level, I, I'm describing this like this macro, macro political level of it. But it's also a personal story about family. In that the Guardians is a found family. And, you know, we're going to, a lot of the stories kind of spin out of, you know, the tensions and the, uh, you know, the different kind of, the things that they want and the things that they kind of, uh, and now we're getting into spoiler territory, but the, uh, yeah, the, it's it's a sort of mix of, you know, the macro scale and this more intimate emotional scale and kind of, I want to try and address both. And also it's like a kind of, it's the, it's full of action as well. It's like, you know, Mission Impossible, uh, throw some of that in there as well. It's, it's got that pace. Uh, I'm really proud of it. I'm really happy with the, with how the first issue goes from like this kind of just ramps up and up and up and up until, you know, by the end, you know, your palms are going to be clammy and you're going to be sort of shaking a little bit. So, oh, that's a yeah. that's a promise. That's a heck of a promise. It's it's a heck of a promise. I think I think yeah. I, I feel like uh, I feel like you know. Between the start of the issue and the end of the issue, it's gonna it's gonna ramp up. People are gonna feel like they've got even in thirty pages. People are gonna feel like they've got a lot for their a lot for their dime or dollar or you, five dollars. You mentioned you mentioned Nova and you mentioned Peter Quill as these two people who aren't really really able to go home. I feel like with Quill, there's like a strange dichotomy now with that character because there's there's he was a character of relative complete obscurity until Annihilation Conquest with Keith Giffen and, and Abbott and Lanning. And then this meteoric success with the the movie that came out six years ago uh, with Chris Pratt, it's, where he's uh, goofier uh, than he was portrayed. What, what What's your interpretation of Peter Quill? I mean, out of, out of all of, I think it's, I think it would be very hard for me to deny that out of all of the the Marvel superheroes who have been on the big screen, Peter Quill is the one who I think has been most affected by uh, his movie version. I think with a lot of the others, you can see how the movie version is sort of fed from the comic version. Uh, with Peter Quill, there's this sort of... I almost feel like... I mean, it's, it's almost hard to be to remember but i'm pretty sure i think i think he was sort of a much lighter he he got that lighter tone in the comics and then it was in the film but it was they were so close together it's really hard yeah, to say yeah i think that's when bendis was taking over at the time but certainly if you read the old if you read the older uh, the annihilation stuff he's very hard bitten he's kind of he's much rougher he's much gruffer he's sort of a veteran, he's very much kind of, and I almost feel like the the kind of the Peter Quill 
that we've seen in in more recent years, the kind of the goofier, more lighthearted version, is almost like the bandage over the top of that, the kind of like he's been trying really hard for a long time to kind of be okay. And he's almost managed to fool himself. And I and I think I I don't know, I, I haven't talked to him about it, but I think that's probably that's kind of the version I've been seeing in the the Donny Kate stuff. Uh, certainly in those twelve issues there's a sort of slightly darker, more broken version of version of Peter. So I'm kind of I'm kind of going with that. I uh, there's one thing I want to bring in uh, because this isn't the first time that Peter Quill's personality has changed drastically, obviously. Uh, when we saw him in Annihilation, that was a big change from the original Star-Lord, who was much more of a kind of dashing classic space hero. Adam Strange um, type. Yeah, Adam Strange type person. And then... But that was like a drastic change from when he was first introduced from Steve Englehart, where it was this kind of this this real asshole who was sort of learning to become like a, a better human being through like the power of astrology and through a mysterious old man who like lived in space and was like, you know, the master of the sun. And yeah, that. I do have this thing where when I'm taking on like a new um, when I'm taking on a new character and it's somebody I don't fully have a handle on uh, but I've got a rough idea for but I don't have like the full I need so, I need some extra juice on that character I'll go back to their first appearance and I'll kind of I'll sort of try and get some sort of primal vibe off it like and yeah the master of the sun is a really interesting thing to have vanished so completely after like the first thing. So yeah, um, I I do want to kind of get that slight like uh, I feel like I feel like there's a direction I want to take Peter Quill in that is both slightly away from the movie version. And, you know, more in the direction that we have seen him going in the last year or so. But also maybe skew that very slightly towards some weirder territory. Um, and I feel like I feel like this is all stuff that people are going to take in all sorts of ways and have panic attacks about. But, like, I do know what I'm doing with Peter Quill, I promise. (laughs) uh, You know, it'll all make sense. At the end of the first year, it will all make sense. I'm very Um, excited to see what you do with him and Richard together. Yeah, yeah. No, it's him him and Richard. uh, Certainly, him and Richard are very much a pair. And, yeah, definitely, we're going to be taking a look at the both of them. it's a good thing I've got that little bit of tape over my camera because my facial expressions will be telling a hell of a tale right now. Oh, oh no, I don't know what that means. Yeah, well, good. <laughs> no spoilers. No, I, I do have a little. I do have a little bit of. Um, you know, if you show if you show your YouTube audience the sort of red red blob 
that is my astral form. Yes. I keep yeah, I keep a little I keep a little bit of tape over uh, over my camera because um you know, I don't have Alexa in the house either. I don't you know I don't like it. <laughs> Yeah. I don't like I don't like that all the computers listen to you now. Yeah, it's like uh, that's my one that's my one little bit of like um, conspiracy theory paranoia that I that I allow myself that I sort of indulge in. You know, <laughs> we've all little got bit it. of little bit of little bit of tape over the camera. <laughs> uh, so you know, so so Bill Gates can't spy me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Al, you've been more than gracious with your time today, and uh, we are so thankful for you joining us. And, oh, um, thank you. Thank yeah, you. Um, hopefully you enjoyed speaking with us. This has been such a, an informative conversation on our end. Oh, well, uh, thanks thanks for asking You know, uh, so many good questions. And yeah, thanks for buying the books as well. Absolutely. As, as Guardians uh, comes out more and more, I would love to do another deep dive with you on that. I mean, there are certain things that, yeah, by by the end of that first trade, you will have more questions. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> and as long as you have answers, we will be talking again. <laughs> I will. I will have answers. Um, I'll have some answers. There are there are things I'll have to I'll have to draw a veil over. Um, but or put red tape over. <laughs> yeah, put a little put a little bit of red tape over it. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, hopefully you guys at home who are listening enjoyed this conversation. If you have thoughts about what we discussed here on the show, obviously you guys can reach out to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com or any of the other ways that you know to reach out to us. Buy the books. Buy Guardians. It's dropping this Wednesday. Go pick that up. If you're behind on Immortal Hulk, there really aren't that many issues to it. I think we just saw issue 29, so that's not so far ahead that you can't you know grab a couple trades and jump on board it's worth your while if you want to read something that's truly special uh at a time when a lot of people are saying they feel things are stale this is a standout book al ewing is a standout writer joe bennett is a standout artist and i think you guys want to be a part of this it feels like something special so uh join the ride Al, yeah. is there anything you want to plug? Any way you want people to get, you know, get with you on social media or anything like that before we close out? I I want people to avoid getting with me on social media. <laughs> um, I I hate people getting with me on social. No, uh, I I have started up my Tumblr again. Okay. Um, which is, if you like Hulk, it's a. I'm just checking the address. When you like Hulk, uh, if you like Hulk, it's a read through. I've been doing like from the start. Um, kind of exploring, like uh, looking at things. It's it's called a work blog uh, for the Immortal Hulk, and it's basically me kind of looking at uh, individual panels and scenes and sequences that have sort of jumped out of me, jumped out at me in the context of writing Immortal Hulk. And the address is alewing all one word um, dot tumblr dot com. And that'll take you to a thing called, uh, oh man, it's called "What is happening?" question mark question mark question mark arg, <laughs> which is what uh, what Bruce Banner yelled the first time he turned into the Hulk. So uh, <laughs> you know you can you can see that, um, and that's probably you know I've got a I'm at I'm at at Al underscore Ewing 
on Twitter as well. I am I'm terrible at Twitter. I'm, I'm like, you know, the worst. I, I've, I've blocked the equivalent of a small city and I post nothing. So it's like, <laughs> you know, don't bother. Don't bother with Twitter. It's There's nothing there. Um, and, you know, go, go to the Tumblr. That's where the action is. That's where it's all happening. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm terrible at social. I don't have a Facebook. Um, I'm terrible at social media. That's a cool interactive Tumblr, though, where it's like, oh, this is what's popping out to me while I'm writing this book that everyone likes. Well, I got the idea from when uh, Matt Fraction was running Fantastic Four, and he had this, he had like this great Tumblr of like uh, cool Fantastic Four moments. So it's just ripped off entirely from that, except, you know, with my own sensibilities and my own kind of – there's a bunch of – the nice thing about Tumblr is that you can put little hashtags on on it, and it's like uh, – so there's all these recurring tags from, like, every time I've noticed, like, um, a particular recurring thing or, uh, you know, a kind of recurring theme, uh, there's these little, there's these little, uh, these little hashtags that you can kind of – Click a one and get like every time I've spotted that. So yeah, it is. It is a fun thing. We sort of advertise it a little bit in the back of the um, in the back of the comic in the letters page. But as soon as as soon as Will had the idea of doing that, as soon as he said, "Oh yeah, let's point people at your Tumblr," I stopped updating the Tumblr because I got too busy. <laughs> and then and then this weekend I was just like, right, you know, I've got a lot to do, but I need to get that Tumblr going again. So I took a bunch of screenshots and, you know, that will be, hopefully I'm back at it now. We shall see. But there's a lot there. All right. So (laughs) check out the Tumblr, check out the books. Uh, Thank you again so much, Al. We've been the Comics Pals and we'll see you guys next time. So with that, we're the Comics Pals signing off. Take care, guys. Take care.